I'm conflicted this morning. We, we're going to be having a great commission planning meeting um, this morning, so I'm going to try to keep this message brief. And I can do this in 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, or an hour and a half, whichever one you want. But, um, uh, yeah. So I was going to start off out of the gate with uh, actually our, our meeting, but after the songs that we've just sung, I mean, this is just a beautiful rendition of the gospel which is really what we're about as a church, right? We're about the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. And that word salvation is sozo, which means the power to save a soul, to forgive a person of all their sins, past, present, and future, and to clothe them in the righteousness of Jesus, the power to heal, the power to heal physically, the power to heal emotionally. There are many ways that we need healing and the power to deliver. And so there are those who are what the Bible calls demonized, as well as there are those who, whose lives are governed and controlled by the strongholds that Satan has erected in many things, thought processes. So when you, some things were very you grew up and some things were very negative. And for some of you, some of the things that you experienced as a child were actually quite devastating. And, uh, for example, those who suffer under some kind of sexual abuse as a child growing up, which the, the percentage of children experiencing that early on in their child is actually staggering in our day and time, the number of people, things that people have done, experiences, help um, and to formulate your thought processes so that when somebody would come up and say something to you, everything they said had to filter through all of those negative experiences. And so what they said to you may not have been offensive or been taken by anyone else as being offensive, but when they said it to you, it was very offensive, it was very hurtful, and um, you were devastated by what they said. So Satan understands uh, those negative thought processes that we have, and so he capitalizes on those in order to keep us all you know, bound up in things like guilt and fear and anxiety and depression and all the other things that come along with that. So um, if, if we as a church um, are about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we are a church that is about helping people find not only forgiveness through faith in Christ, but also to expounder so um, that Jesus came uh, time on this issue of getting free in Christ. How do you get free? How do you tear down those mental strongholds? How do you walk in the freedom of Jesus so that you're not walking in life filled with all these things that, can, that are constantly dragging you down, and when you look in the mirror, you don't really see very positive things, but you actually see very negative things about yourself. So we want to transform that. So my life state, forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ, because Forgiveness and freedom comes through the, the gospel, right? It's the power of God unto salvation, to save, heal, and deliver. And um, my, my heart's desire every day is to think, Lord, what, what is it that we as a church can do in order, to, in order to say to the community around us, hey, here, how about coming and experiencing it? Or are we taking it to the streets and allowing them to experience it in that manner? So it's a come and see and a go and tell. It's, it's two sides of the same coin. Because my fear is, what, what if this church was just no more? Would the community even know, or would they even care? Or have we made an impact upon our community in such a way that says, hey, uh, you know, if you come here, you're going to experience the power of the Spirit of God in a, in a very dramatic way. That, that's my heart's desire. That's, 
that's what um, you know, God's just laid upon my heart. And as I've shared before, my vision is that we would develop a, a healing center here where people come and they are prayed for and over and they experience. And so we, we've kind of stepped out on that um, on Wednesday nights. We have an open prayer on Wednesday nights. And uh, every week, God seems to supply us with somebody to pray over, and, uh, and, and the Lord is just doing some amazing things. And there was a, a woman in this church who brought her niece here, who's 30 years old, who has cancer, uh, lesions in her lungs, and her she, um, they began treatments on her, it only made it, and we got a report back last Sunday that her lungs are clear, the lesions on her liver are disappearing. Uh, again, it's an act, it's a manifestation of God upon her life. I just believe that God still does those things. You see, when I read the book of Acts, and we've been in the book of Acts, I know, for a very, very long time. And uh, we're getting to the end. We'll talk about in the last few chapters about a life of surrender. Uh, because everything that they experienced in the book of Acts is because they were willing to surrender themselves totally under the lordship of Jesus. And what does that look like and what does that mean? You see, God saved us to transform us. And transformation never means it's not about winning God's favor. You have God's favor through Christ. It was doing. They were simply reformation is about revealing God's said. Do not go into the world. Do not attempt what I'm asking you to do until you've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Spirit of God. And only then you, can, you, can you begin revealing my presence in a real and dramatic way. And so what do we, we have read all throughout the book of Acts the revealing of God's presence through signs and wonders and miracles. And we've read all through the book of Acts the powerful prayer life of the early church. It's all, hey, God, give us greater boldness. And we count it, we count it a privilege to know that we are suffering for the cause of Christ. And so by revealing his presence, they were, in essence, advancing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, which is exactly how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Thy kingdom come, thus thou will be bring the on earth as it is in heaven. And then God to earth, he gave us the keys to the kingdom. And God, even in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, always chose to deal with humanity through the presence of humanity, right? Adam and Eve, he gave, them, he gave them dominion and he gave them authority and he gave them power to oversee, to manage, to steward God's creation. And so God has done it all over in the church. He's given us dominion and authority in this world in which the king, so that we can research, we've referred to those as we're going to see in chapter 17 and verse 6 as those who were like turning their, their known world upside down, right? <sighs> They had no lack. They, that God was blessing them in such a way that there was no one needy in their midst. In fact, they were so unique that they had to convince military officers and community leaders in such a powerful and dramatic way to be worshipped. God not doing that in our day and time. Well, the fact of the matter is he is. As I shared with you, Don Witt, a friend of mine, has been to our church, will actually be with us next year. Uh, two months ago, spent three weeks in Ethiopia with three different teams, saw 200,000 people come to faith in Christ. He was back last week and saw 32,000 come to faith in Christ. From open doors that, you know, kind of you know, keeps us up to date about where persecution is happening around the world. And do you know that what they're saying about Iran? That, uh, you know, several years ago, there were less than 500 believers in the entire country, but that's no longer the case. People are coming to faith by, to Christ in Iran, uh, you know, in, 
in extra-the-preacher way, so much so they are called life on the line in spite of being thrown in prison for their faith. The, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ just continues to grow and to flourish and to move forward. What about here? What about in our country? What about in our church? What if we really listen to the Bible about God's kingdom coming and his will being done? You know, we have to hunger as though we've contoured the gospel to align with our condition. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I think God wants to do these things, but we've got to be like the early church, right? So are we praying like the early church? I mean, they spent hours in prayer. They spent time on their face before God because they realized and understood if they were going to move with the Spirit of God as Jesus. Well, where did Jesus get that information? He showed us what it means to live in a human body guided and directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that's where he got his information. That's exactly where we get our information. It's where they got their information. They were praying and praying, sold out in the gospel of Christ, regardless of how people respond. As we're going to notice today, there are four typical ways people respond to the gospel of Jesus, and not all of them are very favorable. But yet it did not detour them because it did not stop them. It did not cause them hearing this good news in reasons. Treat because of the way the Bible says is the great treasure that we have. So in a very brief amount of time, because um, I'm going to scale this back and give you the Reader's Digest version, I want to answer three questions today about sharing Jesus. Last week, in um, chapter 16, we were lost. They're the seekers or those who are, you know, slaves, enslaved to um, sin, enslaved to habits, and sin, enslaved to a lot of things, or those who are skeptics, as we saw. What is the Philippian jailer? And so we, we bring to them the good news of Jesus' message, and when you say the right message in the right way, what can you expect as a result? Because sometimes we have this unrealistic expectation that shared that with me, and that, that's not always the case. In fact, um, that's probably less the case than it is the normal. So uh, uh, you could take what I'm going to on their second missionary journey, and they're making their way back around some of the cities. And there's Thessalonica in chapter 17, and Berea, and three of them cities. Right. So what I'm going to share is the things take place, um, but we're only going to have time probably to, to look at Thessalonica, which is a city of about 200,000 people in modern Greece. And it says in chapter 7, they came to Thessalonica. So why did they pass? So if there's, no, if there's less than 10 males in the community, you cannot have a, a, a synagogue. And so, but here again, the Spirit's leading, and they come to this. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. Three Sabbath days would be three weeks, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. I want you to underline that because that is the essence of the gospel. And by doing that, he solves humanity's five biggest problems. Essence of the gospel, rising from the dead, and fighter um, jets. Okay. I thought maybe, you know, it's the power of the Spirit coming down, but it's not. So some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and sent them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, hey, these men who who have caused trouble all over the world have now come to Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they had heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made 
Jason, see, um, in, in verse 2, it says, as is custom, Paul goes into the synagogue, and notice the word reason. He reasoned with them. In other words, Paul wanted to share with the Jews first, synagogues, and he wanted to show to them that he, Jesus was their promised Messiah. And so you notice that he reasoned with them. He did not argue them. He didn't that, hey, you need to bow down and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. You will never, ever, ever get this. You will never, ever, ever, ever argue someone into the kingdom. The Lord, and they were just like shut off, closed-minded. Yeah, so it's like you were talking to the wall. They're just like, you know, they're looking... It's not resonating, or they may want to become argumentative with you. It might be that they want to throw something out there, uh, and they say, well, you know, well, if God really loves me, then why is there so much evil in the world, all right? So, so they, they want to kind of draw you into an argument over that. Now, notice what, what Paul was doing. It says that he was in the synagogue, and he was reasoning in, well, if, if you're trying to share the message of the gospel of Christ, don't let Satan drag you into arguments. Don't let him get you off track. You don't have to. But he says, okay, well, you know what? Uh, you might be an okay person, but, you know, I knew a person. They were a horrible Christian. And I just don't want anything to agree with there are hypocrites everywhere. I'll give you that. Now let's get back to what the scripture says. Always keep going back to the Bible answer every question. This is the biggest reason why most people say they don't share their faith is what if they ask me something I cannot answer? Well, here's, here's the simple rule. It's a question, and since you asked me that question, it must be meaningful to you. I do not know the answer, but I will I will find out, then I will come back and give you the answer. Now, let's get back. My goal is to enable them to, to come to faith in Christ. How many of us, before we were saved, before we ever came to the cross, had all take that leap of faith in trusting Jesus as our Savior? Anybody? Does that characterize any of you? Characterized me? I had all kinds of questions. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, never been around the Bible, didn't know the Bible. You know, I'm saying, you could do anything, and I would have wired certain things happening, and how do you know this is right, and there are a thousand different questions. But you know what? People just kept taking me back to the Bible. They just kept taking me back to Jesus. They just kept taking me back to Jesus to faith in Christ is at some point God opened up my heart and he opened up my eyes and my ears to the spirit who was drawing me into that relationship. And when I trusted Jesus, all of a sudden, and any other time as I grew in my walk with Christ, um, you know, uh, those answers began, began to come. And so I, I just want to caution you to, to avoid arguments. Paul wasn't there to argue. He taught from, he wanted them to understand explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, the essence of the gospel. On your outline, 1 Corinthians 5, of first importance, a right line at first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture, right? So that's the gospel. Jesus died. He was buried. He arose from the dead. Why is that so important? Because it answers five great, our five great questions that we have in life. And now, because I'm giving you the Reader's Digest version, we don't have time to go through this in depth, but I do want to mention them. Um, and so the key word in the gospel is the word atonement. And really, the atonement of Christ is really about Jesus' suffering and his, his, his burial and his resurrection as payment for our sin. Um, and so... 
Christ's obedience to God and, and suffering as payment for sin uh, resulted in five things. Number one is replacement. That means that Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took my punishment. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that I deserved. That um, God imp implemented a sacrificial system to hold back the wrath of God from judging humanity for their sin because God knew that one day in the future he would make payment for our sin. All right, so it was there. Bulls and goats could not atone for our sin. Only through the blood, the righteous blood of be atoned for. Could our sin be, uh, he, you know, he became our replacement. He became our substitute. Romans 3.25 says, God sent Christ to take the punishment of our sin. of God's anger against us. Listen to me, because here's where bad thinking and gospel thinking come into play. Because for some of you, sometimes when you're going through some difficulties in your lives, leveling no, right? So Jesus is your substitute. He was your replacement. He stood in the gap for you so that he absorbed God every last drop of it and every single sin, past, present, and future that you would ever have in your life and for all of humanity was placed upon Jesus. The sub's not wrathful against you. God loves you with a relentless love. Amen. None of us measure up to our own standards, let alone God's. Uh, but listen, your sin, your sin, you, you break human laws, you pay a penalty. The penalty for breaking God's law is death. It is physical death. It is spiritual death. You know, I discovered on 270 on Friday afternoon that if you're offering today for the pastor <laughs> to uh, pay his speeding ticket, because if that weren't bad enough, it were in a construction zone, which means fines first one goes. So it means I, the wage of sin is death. It means I deserve to die. And by the way, the mortality rate in your place. He became your substitute, your replacement, so that you would never, ever have to experience the wrath of God in your life. Amen. All right, here's number two, redemption. Jesus bought my freedom. It didn't stop there. It just gets gooder and gooder, tweeter and tweeter. Uh, he, he bought my freedom. 1 Timothy 2.6 says he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. The Greek word for redemption actually refers to slaves that are purchased out of the marketplace. We were all enslaved and in bondage to sin. Jesus says that, that whatever you're enslaved to, it, you be, you, it, it brings bondage in your life. And you say, well, I'm not a slave. I, I don't need redemption. Yes, you do. Because, listen, we all know we can be a slave to sin. We can be a slave to peers. We can be a slave to people. As God is our life, people pleasers, and, and we have to do everything I can to please people. Or you can be a slave to your schedule, your work, your past, your memories, your resentments. And there's about kinds of things that you can become enslaved. Experience guilt over what I have done. I experience resentment over what others have done towards me. And so throughout my life, there are things that I felt great, that I felt guilty for. There are, and that became, became a part of the, the filter system of my mind, right? So everything had to filter through those resentments and through the guilt and, and through the shame and through all the other things that characterized my thought processes. And so whenever somebody said something to me, even if it was a compliment, by the time it filtered through my thought processes, I thought th something like, well, you just want something from me. I can't accept that. That's not who I am. And you, I couldn't even accept a compliment from somebody. And some of you, you're living your life that way. 
If someone were to make a compliment, you would think they're only doing so because they have an ulterior motive, because that's the way your thought processes are. Listen, Jesus came to set us free from those things. Because what we do is now we, we want to take life into our own hands. And we want to say, you know what, life, if I'm going to experience what it is I really desire in life. In fact, if I were to ask every one of you, what do you really desire in life and compile the list, it would be almost identical. We all, I, I've been almost, but they never reach those desires because of these things, these thought processes that hold them back. And so what they do is they decide, you know what, I, I'm going to, here's how I'm going to, to do it for them, or they look for an object, or they look for a career, or they look for multiple different avenues that's going to fix everything that is broken inside of you except Christ. It's just a matter of learning how to appropriate what Jesus has transformed your life by transforming the way you think. Your mind is the control center of your life, and your life always moves in the direction of its most dominant thinking. So we want to help you change your thought processes and make that grid system something that the Holy Spirit is implementing, not something that the flesh has implemented, and thus, you know, you're trying to willpower fight against that, okay? Willpower, when you've got the power of the Spirit of God, and it's the same Spirit who had the power to resurrect Jesus from the dead, is the same power that resides in your body is the host of that Spirit. So let's, all right, so that the cross, the gospel makes that possible. Reconciliation, Jesus restored my relationship with God. That means that he restored my relationship with God. Reconciliation is the key word, right? When some, you, and so, um, you know, you can reconcile nations, parties, governments, people. Um, whenever I, I do anything that starts my wife, all right, so that breaks our, that's caused some hurt or pain or conflict. And so now we're at odds with each other. Well, we need to reconcile that back together, and that's the idea here, is that you know, most people in the world feel very distant from God, and the reason is because of their sin. And so God sent Jesus as our substitute so that we could be reconciled to him in relationship. There is nothing, 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 nothing you or I could ever do to reconcile that relationship. All religions around the world revolve around what? If you'll follow these teachings, if you'll do these nine things, if you'll take these ten steps, then you, Jesus says, it, it, it's done, all right? I'm the one who have, I'm the mediator. I'm the one who has come to everybody needs. Now, this broken relationship, rebirth, Jesus gave us a new identity, a new identity, our identity um, uh, in Christ. If you Google responses, people, people basically don't like who they are. Because our culture really defines our identity on four basic levels. One is what you know, your education, and how you look, your appearance. So when you take those things together, um, you know, your possessions, your career, your education, your appearance. Well, what if I don't like how I look? And what if I don't particularly like my career at this point in life? And what if I, you know, this don't how you are up to the standards that, you know, there are all kinds of things. And so uh, we are in an identity crisis in our world, in our day and time. And so Jesus comes to bring us a brand new identity because we are in five is repudiation, uh, which simply means Jesus defeated death and the devil. First John 3, the son of God came for this purpose to destroy the devil's work. He really does. Jesus said he only came to steal, kill, and destroy. So however he can do that in your life, that's exactly what he's going to set out to do. 
And by the way, he's accomplishing a lot through that, even in the lives of believers. That's why I say that many, many Christians are on the right side of forgiveness, but they're on the wrong side of freedom. And so what I want to do is to help you get on the right side of freedom. I think that's our message in the world today. It's not only forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but how to walk in freedom in Christ so that we are no longer governed and controlled by the evil one who was once our, what, our, our slave master. Remember what Paul said? We were in the kingdom of Satan. We were out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his beloved son so that everything that Jesus leveraged on our behalf through the gospel of Christ, not everything you and he leveraged is now our heaven to experience. It is something you can experience in the here and now. I'm so tired of Christians saying, well, you know, we're just going to kind of make our way through. I guarantee you, heaven will be grand and it will be wonderful more than we could ever think or imagine, but you do not have to wait to get there to experience. Don't get me wound up. Stop feeling like you, you're aimless. Stop being fearful. Fear does not come from God. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but that God is love. The number one fear that most people have is the fear of death. I've done enough funerals to know that. There is a huge, huge difference between doing a funeral for a believer as opposed to an unbeliever. Huge difference. You know where somebody is when they've died. You know, when my mother died, I, I knew she, she split heaven wide open. How do I know that? Because she, she believed and trusted in Jesus to be her Savior and Lord. Now, she was 62 years old when that happened, but it happened. And so I had, you know, she couldn't speak, she couldn't walk, she could, had no use of her left side and, and could barely swallow, and she was just in pain and misery. And, uh, so my, you know, Marla and I and the kids were together, and we had one of our nieces with us. My mother was in the hospital, and she had died. My first response, Hallelujah. How selfish would it be for me having to know that she got a brand new one? Why would I want to do that? It would be pure selfishness on my behalf. And so that is the power of the gospel. It is a platform. Remember that our pain, and I can say to others, listen, you know what? Death is not always a bad option. I know for us that are left behind, it is painful, it is dreadful, but it is, for those who are dying, it is not always a bad option. It doesn't come back. One of these days, we're going to step across that threshold, and oh, what a glorious day it will be. Amen? But in the meantime, I want you to live in the freedom that Jesus came. He dialogued. He, uh, he, he was persuading. It's a medical term to open up what was previously closed. And so rather than trying to jam the message down somebody's throat, so he knew that arguing was not going to get him anywhere, but he was going to reason with them because he had, a, he had an incredible message. So let me just, I'm not saying that you get this out and say, okay, let me talk to you about replacement and redemption and all these big churchy words, okay? Don't do that to people. They don't understand that, but you can talk about how and the benefits of all of that. You can do that, but don't give them the big churchy words, okay? Like when you're sharing your testimony, stop using Christianese words. People, the lost people don't understand that. I would say understand that, right? Now, it's not that they're not going to learn those words later on as they grow in their faith, but up front, they, they don't know. Like me, I was so biblically illiterate, I didn't know anything. And so if you would have just come out of the gate using all these big, 
Christian words, I would have been like, whoo, you know, my head would have split open. So uh, watch what language we use. So here it is. Capitalize on common ground, right? Jesus did this. Sometimes he talked about water. Sometimes he ground. He, He used to be a Pharisee. He knew all about the law. He knew all about awaiting for the Messiah. But he had one up on them in that he, he realized came to, to put your faith in him as your Messiah. All right? So common ground might be, it might be a, a health issue somebody's dealing with. You have all kinds of life of that. Number two, accept people where they are. This is not a me versus you conversation. And by the way, stop expecting people to be a Christian before they're a Christian. And by the way, Here's what I know about people who get saved. They're not different the next day. Right? They're basically the same. In fact, you pro- it probably takes at least six months to notice any difference in most people's lives. And for some Christians, you still don't know if there's any difference. Right? So don't expect people, you know, don't expect people. I've, I've watched this so many times and I've heard so many times. Well, what you need to do. Brother, uh, you, you need to stop smoking. If you stop smoking, Jesus will accept you. What's the smoking got anything to do with the salvation? Listen, or if you need to stop whatever the sin is that they want to throw out there. So they want to, you know, that out there and say, well, you know, the Bible says that no, da, 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 will enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that's a fine way to start a conversation, right? It's the Spirit of God that opens up their heart and takes the blinders off their eyes and unstops their ears. It is not you. You're just the messenger of the message. Out of the gate, offending people or trying to cram something down their throat that they're not ready for. Not everybody is ready. Said is very interesting. I'll think about that. At least they're still open to the possibility of further discussion, right? Risk sharing your spiritual story. Risk sharing your spiritual story. People are interested in your story. It is a great, great format to begin sharing how Jesus changed your life and why that's important. And listen, don't spend all the time diving into what you were like before you got saved and then like, you know, just like a blurb about how you got saved, and a blurb about now what's life been since then. You know what people are really interested in? Has Jesus really made a difference in your life? They want to know about the backside. They want to know, okay, since you've had this encounter with Christ, since you've had this life-changing experience, how's that changed your life? How's your life different? What's the benefit of that? That makes sense? I... <laughs> So I remember first when I was in college, we had a lay renewal weekend. And the lay renewal weekend is where people come, they're lay people, and they just share their testimonies. But what I noticed about the testimonies is they went into great, great, long detail about their past life and and what they did back then. And then it almost seemed like it got to be a competition. Well, you think he was bad. Well, let me tell you my story. And, you know, and then... But what about those like my wife or who are sitting in church who have been in church all of their lives? They don't have this, had this, you know, storybook, con, you know, conversion experience. And, and so they, w- they would spend all their time there. And then I, I, th- then I was saved and life's been great. Right? So if you're a, f- a follower of Jesus and you're in, you were in church all your life, 
Listen, that, that in and of itself is a huge testimony. But what you want to focus on, really all of us, is on the backside. Okay, what has that meant for you? I mean, what, what did that keep you from that, that is harmful? And, and how's your life? If, if all I can say is I was saved and I can't say anything after that, what does that say about our testimony? I've been right? So you, you want to you stack it up and say, hey, this is why it's so important. Here's the results. If, if you share the right message in the right way, here's what we see here in, in Church of Berea. We see this. Some of them, the God-fearing Greeks, large number of people, Gave their life to Christ. Some will reject your message. Listen, they're not rejecting you. Some will reject your message. Some will oppose you for sharing it. All right, some people are going to push back on you. At some future date, they won't be receptive to the gospel, but at this moment, they're not ready. And some will remain passive. They're just going to say, you know what? <laughs> I'm so glad. You know, I appreciate you sharing that with me, but I, again, Nothing wrong with that. What you want to do is that you want to share the greatest message in the world in the right way and have the right expectation of what their response may be. If they push back on the message, they oppose you, they just remain passive, the key here is to keep the doors for further conversation open especially with those with whom you have a lot of contact with. Maybe it's a neighbor, a coworker, a family member. You, you don't want to argue them. You don't, what a lot of my family members said to me, my own mother, I'm so happy what God's done for you, but it's not for me. Now, if I responded to my mother, I have never been re- open and receptive to the gospel. Do you know how long it took before she moved from that response to actually receiving. Do not ever give up. Remember, transformation is about you revealing the presence of God through your life. If nothing else, she got to see what Jesus over those years was doing in my life, how he was changing me and my other family members. You know, they just couldn't deny the transformation even though they may have rejected the message. And I'm just here to say that uh, there are several of my family members who have come to faith in Christ over the years, but there are many of them who have not, who are still just like, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to talk about it, but that's not my responsibility. My responsibility and your responsibility is just to share the greatest message that we could ever share is Jesus. Father, we thank you, uh, love you, we adore you for the verbal witness that they can have concerning you. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you will help us to be patient, to be gentle, to be kind, uh, that Lord, we don't want to be angry, we don't want to be judgmental, we don't want to be, be divisive, we don't want to do any of those things. God, we want to be self-loving and joyful and patient in our lives, and so God, I, I pray for every person here, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just... Begin that transformation of those harmful uh, thought patterns that we have, we have allowed to be entrenched in our, our thinking. And God, may you repatterns patterns. And Lord, the patterns that you want us to have as we have this new identity in Jesus. So God, it's my prayer that anyone here this morning who needs their sins are forgiven. 
They've accepted Christ's payment on the cross as their substitute, as their sacrifice. And that their life, God, that today, Father, your Holy Spirit would just fall upon them. And may they experience that.